Nate's come out with another awesome tool for the swimming community. It's called Swim Nerd Live, and it allows the data and times from your actual scoreboard to be broadcast and viewed in real time on any smart TV, phone, or other device. It has all the information you're looking for, event, heat, lane, name of swimmer, times and places. One click on any device and they're watching your swim meet live in real time. Go to swimpractice.com to learn more. Okay, Laurie Lawrence, welcome to the podcast, mate. How are you? I'm stressed. I'm stressed <laughs> out of my brain, mate. I didn't, couldn't find that, that email from you and finished up. I'm on a phone now trying to, trying to communicate this through the phone. Mate, you look beautiful. Listen, I got to tell you, I got to tell my audience, we've been trying to pin you down for a, a good 12 months. We finally figured it out, hey? Mate, you stressed me. I kept getting too many emails, too many phone calls, too many phone texts. I said, I've got to get this bastard off my back. He's just driving <laughs> me nuts. <laughs> Mate, some of the funniest messages I've ever received were from you over the past six months. And I can't share them with people because they're just too funny, but they're brilliant. But mate, uh, yeah, I've been trying to pin you down. Like I, I get asked all the time, who's the, who's the guy you want the most? Who's the guy you want on the show? And I, and I tell everybody, Laurie Lawrence, for sure, without a doubt. So, a lot of people know you. Some people Come in America... On. No, mate, listen, you're a, you're a legend, you living legend. You are pissing in my pocket. Well, I am, but you know why? Because, um, look, we're, we're, we're not both of us. We're not getting any younger. And so we, there's a chance for us to record some history here. And I figured, why not? Let's do it. Tell me about it, mate. I'm 80 in October. Oh, wow. Brilliant. Yeah, I'm getting there. I'm still, I'm still working on my worldwide swim school. I got two swim schools that I go to. I was there early talking to young kids early this morning, just giving them the dream, you know, selling them the dream. Yeah. Because it starts there with the dream, as you know. Yeah. And um, so I'm just there doing my little bit for Australian swimming. Mate, you've done a lot for Australian swimming. You've done you've done more than um, most people. Uh, you know, there's a, there's probably a handful of people that have done as much as you've done. But um, listen, you like I said, you're a living legend. I uh, I got your book here. I got your book. So, uh, Stuff the silver, we're going for gold, mate. It's it's a it's a brilliant book. I love it, mate. I know it's a good book, <laughs> but I tell you what, my missus is going ballistic because I published it myself. And look out there, mate. I got hundreds of the bitches. Look at them all, boxes and boxes and boxes and boxes and boxes and boxes in my warehouse. And my wife's saying, "You sell them." I say, "Yes, love." So It'll that's happen. what you do. That's what you do. You, you sell them. You, someone buys them off you and you, you send it to them. Yeah, but I'm not sending them to America. It costs too much. Oh, come on, man. I've got a massive audience. I'm showing your book here. you got to get it to America. This is too good for... Well, you know. they can go on, uh, on what do they call it, Amazon, and oh, yeah. they can buy one there. But it's you don't get the pictures or you don't get the color. It's just black and white. Okay. And you'll miss all these Olympic, uh, all these Olympic photos that I've got in it of photos that I've actually uh, taken at the various Olympics I've been at. I used to carry my camera with me everywhere. And eight Olympic games are good. So I picked out a few of the photos and put in what You won't get that if you buy the book on Amazon. Yeah. But it's not worth the postage to America, mate. It costs too much. Yeah, I got you. Well, listen, most of the time I start by asking the person who's on the show, like, where did it all start? And that's kind of the first chapter for you. 
you know, you talk about the fact that you grew up in Townsville in the first chapter of this book. So tell me about that. Like, t- tell us about your beginnings. Mate, 1956, I was a snotty-nosed kid running around the Brookville in Townsville. The old man, the doctor advised that I should swim to get healthy. Mm-hmm. I had a lung out when I was 11 years of age, a lung taken out when I was 11 years of age. Oh, Jesus. Because I had a disease called bronchiectasis. Anyway, the old man said, the doctor said, yeah, he's got to swim. So my dad hunted down the Trebrook Pool and became the manager of the Trebrook Pool in Townsville. Mm. We had a little, little um, unit, a one bedroom unit where I had two sisters and myself, mum and dad. And the lounge room became a, a communal living for my, me and my two sisters. And finally, I did get on the little deck out the front mm. that overlooked the pool. So I grew up there, sunburnt nose, running around the pool. And lo and behold, the Australian Olympic team came there in 1956 to train. Oh, wow. And up come all the great coaches. You name them. If you haven't got them on your podcast, you should get them. Forbes Carlisle. Unfortunately, he's gone. Forbes. Harry Gallagher, unfortunately, he died this year. Forbes, Harry, Sam Herford, Frank Guthrie. All all these, you know, Sam Herford who coached Murray Rose. Mm -hmm. And there all the swimmers were training. Dawn Fraser, Murray Rose, John Conrads, John Henricks, uh, Lorraine Crapp, the first woman to break five minutes for the 400 metres freestyle. They were all there. David Tyler who's now a surgeon in Brisbane. He was there. Tyler, who won two Olympic backstroke championships. And if you remember, he was the first one to do the roll turn, but you had to touch your hands. And they were looking over the top of him, you know, to see if they could DQ him. Great backstroke, a great guy, and now a philanthropist here in Australia. That's where I grew up, mate, watching Forbes hypnotise people and having just bars the first of the strengthening things that Forbes used, just round bars that he had all the kids out on the side of the pool. Mate, I loved it, chasing autographs, growing there. And then at that time, I actually gave up my bed and the girls had to shift too. We all shifted to give John Henricks, Olympic champion for the 100 metres freestyle in 1956. He went to Rome, but unfortunately he was the fastest Australian going into Rome. But uh, he got a dysentery over there and lost about uh, six or seven kilos. And so he didn't, it, it was up to Johnny Devitt to win that event over there. But all these memories have been created for me in Townsville. And it made me, you know, I had to swim. I was never much good at swimming, mate. Never much good. But um, well, one lung, it'd be tough with one lung. Yeah, two balls, though. <laughs> And that's important in life. But I did. Absolutely. When I went away to school, I finished up uh, uh, playing football because I wanted to get a scholarship. And I, I finished up playing rugby for Australia back in the in 1964. I made the team that toured New Zealand in 1964, the Australian Wallaby team. So that became my sporting uh, interest. And rugby still was still, still one of my main interests. And then I... I got involved in teaching kids to swim. And from there, it's history. Kids that I taught to swim started to go to the Olympics, started to go and 
young kid I taught, Glenn Buchanan, back, he went to the 84 Olympics and got two bronze medals. I actually taught him to put his face under. But there might be a story in the book about that. I, I'm not sure. So many stories. Oh, so that's what you did. You, your first Olympians, you took them from the, the moment they jumped in the water all the way to the Olympic Games. Yeah. I, well, some I did. Some yeah. I did. Yeah. I, um, yeah, but it, it's been a real, it's a, been a real journey from the first. It all started when Don Gambrell came out. I was coaching kids in town. So I had 27 state champions. One that, well, kids I taught to swim took to the championships. We had the strongest team ever in Queensland, which is a powerhouse of swimming. Yeah. Age group swimming I'm talking about now. And um, Forbes Carlisle was the leading coach in Sydney at the time. And, mate, I wanted to beat him because I come from the rugby background. Rugby, you win or you lose. There's no in-between. It's not, I think I'll do my best. It's not that. Mm. It's you either win and you come off and have a beer or you lose and you go out and kick your dog when you get home. <laughs> so it's it's win or lose. Yeah. And I come from that background where I, was, I had some young kids going around Australia and we were making top 10 in Australia. And, and I had kids who were third in Australia giving the sport away. And I thought, what, the, what am I doing? I've got, I'm creating these great swimmers and these young kids are giving it away. And, and I realised that the pressure I was putting on by you, you win. Where did you come? Right. Well, next time you win. Right. Mate, there's two ways to win. I found that out now. You can win by breaking a world record and touching the end of the pool first and putting the Olympic gold medal around your neck. You can do that. But when you go, you can get your personal best time. That's winning. That's right. the second rung right. down. I still like the, this rung better, but you realise that as you're coming through and you're coaching young kids and you're selling them the dream, it's got to be about personal best first. And even tomorrow morning, mate, I've got kids coming in at 5.30 in the morning, a lot of young kids from our swim school, and I'm going to show them all the different videos of Olympic champions, Adam Peaty, Katie Ledecky. I'll pull out the best ones. And, and then I'll show them and talk to them about winning, talk to them about kids that I've had that have gone to the Olympic Games, kids that I've taught to swim, and sell them the dream that kids sitting in front of me right now one of you can go to the Olympics in Brisbane in 32. You're the right age. Why couldn't six or seven of you? Because I've put eight kids on Olympic teams, nine kids on different Olympic teams for Australia. And when the Institute of Sport come in, our team put more kids onto the Australian team with zero funding, zero funding against the Institute with $8 million a year, $8 million a year. We funded, we got more kids on the Olympic team. You know why? Mm. Because we had the passion and the will to work. And a lot of that will to work, I learned when Don Gambrell came out to Australia and did a tour around Australia, he was the head American coach. Yeah. I fronted him and I said, Don, I want to find out how you do it, why your Americans are so good. What do you do? So one winter, I packed up my bags. He was at Long Beach, California, yeah. in the pool there. He was coaching the Phillips 66 team with Fashionut. We had, he had a whole bunch of champions, but 
from all over the world, you know, Gunnar Larson, you name them, they were there. And uh, I said, I'll, I want to watch what you do. He said, right, come over, I'll get you accommodation. So he got me accommodation at the UCLA and I went over and I picked up kickboards around the pool to learn. Mm. I wrote down every single workout, every single workout that he did that year and looked at them and thought, I'm soft. Mm. I'm soft. And he said, I'll do you a favour. I said, what do you want me to do? He said, I'll organise you to go and see some of the other great coaches in Southern California here. He said, How, who would you like to see? I said, well, you, I'll leave, you, leave it up to you. For the first person he sent me to was a weasened old bloke with a skin, crew cut and grey hair, burnt lips <laughs> with white sunscreen around it, and dark sunglasses, you couldn't see, he had uh, those fighter pilot sunglasses on, you couldn't see his eyes. And I walked in and it was the great Sherm Shabor. Mm. Mate, unbelievable. At the time he was coaching Debbie Meyer. Oh, what a swimmer, mate. Mm. What a swimmer. Mm. Go back and if you people listening don't know who she is, go back and Google her. Debbie yeah. Meyer, unbelievable. She's there. And they're over on the side. This bloke hobbles in, Mike Burton, <laughs> probably the toughest 1,500-metre swimmer the world's ever seen, oh, apart from uh, Selnikov. Sel Selnikov was pretty tough. Sel but Burton, mate, he was take no prisoners, man. Um, Mark Spitz, Spitz was there. I mean, you go on. Nancy Spitz was there. Oh, wow! He had he had the great. Oh, what an, Jeff what an education! Jeff Float. If Jeff Float's listening to this, because he's American, mm. all the best, Jeffrey. Mm -hmm. I hope you listen to this podcast and get a few of mates to do it. He was there as well. He was a young kid. And um, anyway, Shabor stands up, doesn't speak to anyone, stands on the end of the pool, just stands there. The kids work, walk in and they're saying, hello, Sherm, hello, Sherm. And he's going, <laughs> and then they all stand on the edge of the pool. They had rubber tubes, rubber tubes, and they're standing there with their goggles, rubber tubes, and they're waiting for Sherm. And he says, six, eight hundreds, ready, go. <laughs> and away they went. They went, just went. Six eight hundreds. That was the warm up. They stopped after six eight hundreds. Sherm still standing there, hasn't moved. Sunglasses there, expressionless face. Put your tubes on. So they've all wrapped these tubes around their legs. Six eight hundreds. Ready, go. That's all he said to them. The whole bloody workout. Oh, what's happening here? What lesson do I take out of this? What life's lesson do I take out of this? Mate. Uh, what life's lesson do we take? Mate, I was a pussy with my coaching. We're not tough enough. A pussy. <laughs> and now, then I watched him. What I year is this? Over the, over the week before I finished up going down to where Gary Hall was training. Gary right. Hall Senior, I yeah. mean, who was yeah. Olympic champion at 76 Olympics and actually carried Gary Hall Jr., around the arena when he won the gold medal on his shoulder. He did, yeah. So I went there. Flip Dar was coaching him. And I looked and found out what Flip was. Anyway, he sent me to all the great coaches 
in Southern California. And I just, I was like a sponge, mate. I was just pulling it all in, pulling it all in. How can I become a great coach? What have I got to do with myself? And I went back to Townsville and I, I sometimes I regret, regret leaving Townsville because I had 27 state kids, champions, and I went to try my, my luck somewhere else. And I finished up coming across a young kid, Stephen Holland, who was 15 years of age. And I started to put the work into him like I'd seen from the different coaches with my own philosophy. Right. Mate, he is the best 1,500 metres swimmer, the best distance swimmer the world has ever seen. Wow. His cardiovascular system, I had him tested by Professor Cotton in Sydney after he was going through it. 15, he broke two world records in the one race. Went on to Yugoslavia, Yugoslavia, Belgrade, Yugoslavia, 1973. And there, he broke two world records in the one race. Again, beat the Americans. Um, he actually, I thought it was a funny race, mate. He comes out, this 15-year-old kid comes out surrounded by all the Yanks, Rick DeMont, you know, uh, John Kinsella. Yeah. They're all there. They're all there. And Brad Cooper, the Australian, I was also coaching Brad at the time, who was beaten by Rick DeMont only on a, on a technicality when I say that because uh, DeMont uh, won the race, won the 400 freestyle in 1972, but got DQ'd because he hadn't put down that he was on an asthma spray. Yeah. Or US Swimming hadn't put down that he was on an asthma spray. He was... He was one of the greats, Rick DeMont, you know, the way he negative split everything. He bought yeah. something he bought something new into the sport of swimming. There's people that do that, you know. Yeah. Anyway, Holland walks out. Shy, skinny, nervous, 15 years of age at the World Championships in Yugoslavia. There's a white ring surrounds his lips. The blood's drained. He's, he's like this. But, mate. I'm there waiting for him, eh? The gun goes, metamorphosis occurs. <laughs> and this shy, skinny kid becomes a destructive fighting unit, more dangerous than the Iraqi Scud missile or ocean predator. <laughs> and away he goes. 800 metres, mate. He tumbles and breaks the world record. That's it for me. I'm out of the grandstand, straight up into the grandstand where all the Yank coaches are. Get up there amongst them, look them in the eye and say, well, get that into you, fellas. <laughs> They're cheering. I'm cheering. It's just head. And there's a bit of banter going on between coaches and I'm giving it to them. Stephen comes in. At the end of the 1500, I'm about to go and pummel these fellas and say, well, there's our goal. What does Stephen do? tumbles and goes again. <laughs> the rest of the field know what's happening. They tumble and chase him. First time in the history of the International 1500 has the 30 lapper become a 32 lap race. <laughs> Mate, they come up to 32 laps. What does Steve do? He tumbles and goes again. Oh, Jesus. The, the rest of the field are not so stupid. They stop. And a white clad official jumps in on top of Steve and shakes him. And oh, the Yanks are there. They look. I'm looking at them, and I just turn to them and say, "Look, 
maths is not Steve's best subject. <laughs> but I'm telling you, that kid, he should have swam 14.30 back there in 1976. But I, I had a, a family, a new family. I was married in 1974. And I had a one door, door one year old daughter. Yeah. And um, there was no money in coaching in Australia in those days. And I had to go back to teaching phys ed, physical education for a living. So I was up at five o'clock in the morning coaching, go straight from the pool to education, come back to the pool, get home at seven thirty, eight o'clock at night, and mate. I I I was just wrecked, wrecked and the wife's there and I was no, I was just falling asleep at the table, mate. And we had a one-year-old baby, and yeah. I, I went and said, "Look, I, I saw Steve. I said, mate, I can't take you to the Olympics. It's twelve months to go. I'm sorry, but you know, I get a marriage to, to look after, and I've got a family to support." And so I stopped, and that's when he went to America for a short period of time with all the programs we were doing, which I'd stolen North Gambrel and Shermshabor and. Yeah. You know, we all do that as coaches. We oh, all yeah. pitch pieces out of everyone, and sure. And um, trained with with Brian Goodell, Mark Schubert there at Mission Viejo, mm. and they saw the type of work that that Steve was doing, and saw how fast he was doing it. And that's what I think. That's one of the reasons why Goodell, Brian Goodell, is a great swimmer. I don't know, you know, a great swimmer. Oh, Olympic champion. You can't get much better. Yeah. Can't get much better. And, um, but they saw, they learned. They saw what Holland was doing and all of a sudden, go to the Olympic Games. Holland gets bad advice. Just take it out easy. Mate, he wasn't that sort of swimmer. Mm. The kid was a bloke. Go to the lead, boom, and handle it and finish him off. Because if he swam 59 for the first lap, he'd do 59 for the second, the third, the fourth, the fifth, the sixth, he had one pace. That's all. Yeah. One pace. And I, to this day, I honestly believe he should have swum 1430 way back then. Mate, he was a great, 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 one of the great Australian swimmers, but never, ever got an Olympic gold medal because he was denied by a great swimmer who deserved it, who learned the lesson. Schubert, yeah, and and they learnt the lesson. They saw what he was doing, how fast he was swimming. Said, "We got to do this." Yeah. So he got beaten there by Hackett, Bobby Hackett, and uh, and Brian Goodell, of course, was the the winner. Well, mate, the but, two, but, the two I'm still, that have I'm a... still real, real friendly with Steve. You know, it's still. Oh yeah. Friendly. Oh, that's good. Yeah. That's good. Um, the two that had a huge impact on me and also. Australia in general, obviously John Sieben and Duncan Armstrong. So let's go into them a little bit. What about what about Sieben? Tell me about Jono. Jono. Jono is the best racer I've ever seen in my life, mate. Why? Not why. Because if if it, it was put on the line, he could pull something from in here. Right. No matter how tight he was, no matter what he do, he he could pull something up. He would revel in today's swimming climate. Mm. the way that we've got um, the ISL where right. he'd be over there and he'd be loving it. Right. Or the way that FINA has now had to 
Rafinha has had to come in and create the the league in Europe with with uh, prize money, yeah. you know. Yeah. John A. And you can talk to Don Gambrell about this because I sent both uh, Gambrell. I sent to Gambrell both uh, Johnny Sieben and Justin Lemberg. Oh. oh, and that's a story, Lemberg. That's my saddest moment. Every time I see the the fellow, I have to call him Bronzy. <laughs> the best he could do was a bronze medal at the Olympic Games. So we've nicknamed him over here amongst the truck, amongst the troops. Hey, Bronzy, <laughs> what are you doing? I bet he loves that. <laughs> oh, mate. But, but you know what? The things that he learnt in swimming, yeah. the discipline, the focus, the goal setting, the mm. working, all these things he's put into business. He's one of the most successful businessmen in Australia these days. Wow. He does exactly everything. And that's another lesson that I learned as a coach, which really every time I see him, I, I just shake my head and I, I get the shits with myself mm. because, and I suppose this is making excuses for why your kids get beaten, like make an excuse for Holland. There's no excuse for Holland. He was beaten by a better swimmer, Goodell. There's no, ex- no excuse for Lemberg. He was beaten by a better swimmer that trained at altitude and, and, in the, the 400 freestyle. Yeah. But I identified that Justin was a very poor turner mm. and he needed to work on his turns better. And I said to him, point one each turn, mate, that's 7.1s is point seven or even more. You can improve yourself. Yeah. And I went to the local school he, that was about three doors down from where he lived. Three doors down from where he lived. And I saw the headmaster. I said, can you give this kid, can he use the pool in the middle of the day to do some training, just to do some turns? All I want him to do is 50 turns every lunchtime extra Mm. so that he can improve. He's going to go to the Olympic Games for sure. He'll make the team. Mm. The headmaster agreed. And Justin went down there every day religiously and did his 100 turns. This silly bastard that you're looking at right now through the camera, Mm. I didn't go down to watch him. I was busy doing something else. So the kid kept practicing bad turns. Mm. Mate, that's the worst coaching performance ever, Mm. that a coach goes and does something, sits on his ass, has a cup of coffee, and doesn't actually coach his kids. He was there on his own doing it wrong all the time, all the time, all the time. Yeah. It's not his fault that he got beaten, mate. I'll tell you now. Two people's fault, DiCarlo, who beat him, one, because DiCarlo might, if he'd he'd have been a bit closer, DiCarlo could have gone faster too, maybe. We don't know. But Lemberg didn't do his best and it was because of my coaching inadequacies. Very oh. poor coaching. Well, it's bigger you to admit coaching. that. And what I do now is I say to all my teachers, my junior coaches, the standard you walk past is the standard you accept. If you see a mistake and don't correct it, 
You're not a coach, mate. You're a statue. And you know what happens to statues? Pigeons shit on statues. <laughs> That's the truth. <laughs> That's the truth. The standard you walk past is the standard you accept. Accept it and do it. Otherwise, it's going to come back to bite you. As every time I see Lemberg and have to call him Bronzy, it comes back to bite me. Well, what the hell did you do right with Seaman then? Oh, Seaman. Well, Seaman was a racer. Seaman never missed training. Never missed. He did a Michael Phelps. Didn't miss training. And after, at the end of every training session, mate, the squad, the group that I had, used to finish with 40, 50 butterfly. That was that was mandatory diet. Every day? That. Every day. Every session, Ooh. 10 times a week. We'd finish with 40, 50 butterfly, usually on the 45 jump outs. Jeez. Every, every time. Um, wow. Seaborn was also a real scholar of swimming. When I say a scholar... I mean, he would study Swimming World magazine. Mm. He'd study the splits of what people would do, study how fast they came out, yeah. study yeah. where they were, et cetera, et cetera. But one of the favourite training sessions that I actually did with Steve, he did those 40, 50s butterfly every time. So he, he was cardiovascularly very, very fit. Yeah. But in addition to that, one of the favourite workouts that I did with him once a week, and I think Bob Bowman actually took that workout because he came over when Michael was a young young swimmer, came over, and I was talking to him about it, and he said, what's your best, work, best workout? I said, well, one of the things I do with, with John Seaman is I do 40 100s, 4K, on 130, swim down easy freestyle. I don't care how you do it. Swim down easy freestyle. Get out and dive 50 sprint butterfly. So they're doing 40 sprints butterfly every one minute 30 with just yeah. a, a swim down rest in between. Yeah. He had, John O averaged 27, four or something like that wow. for those 40, 50s flying. So he was super fit. He was young, he was hungry, hadn't missed training, adhered to the philosophy that I talk to the kids when I coaching elite athletes is, if you want to win, you have to look to the left and look to the right when you get on the blocks and know that you've trained as hard as anyone there. And say to yourself, look, you might beat me, but boy, I'm ready Let's boogie. Let's race. Let's see how good you are. And if you beat me, I'll lean over the rope, congratulate you. But I'll go under the underwater then and swear <laughs> about my defeat. But that's what it is. That's the philosophy. You try to win. If you get beaten, accept it, shake their hand. That's the way it is. And you'd foster that in practice too, right? All the time. Yeah. All the time. Mm. And um, and we used to sometimes in training, this was a good one, but wouldn't work with a lot of swimmers. They'd hate it. But we'd go, instead of going fastest to slowest, 
in the lane. And we'd have, sometimes I'd have 15, 20 kids in a lane, 50 metre lane. We'd go slowest to fastest. And if someone come up to pass you, I don't care. Just fight them off. Just fight them. <laughs> Make it tough for them to beat you. And if the second one comes up to pass, you fight them as well. Because the slowest ones are in front, right through the fastest. And look out because the fastest person is coming by you. Don't let them pass you. So it fosters, no, it fosters a racing, a racing yeah. mentality, mate. For sure. And sometimes kids win that technically shouldn't win because they've got it in here. They're a racer. So what I'm saying to you is Seban was a racer. I was giving him a bit of a massage before the, the final of the 200 butterfly. Actually. Got his robe. What is this? Mate. There, there it is. This is the robe the kid wore when he got the gold medal. Oh, look at it. Look at that this piece of history. Robe. Hey, this is a bit of Olympic history here. That is. Look at that. So when he comes into the last, like, he's going steady. He's out there, lucky lane six, out in lane six, but he's got everyone in his eyes because he's an intelligent kid who analyzes what other people do. He knows how fast they're going to be out. He knows where he's going to be. So at that stage, the last 50, I think he, he, he swam 29-1 for the last 50 in the 200 fly in LA, 1984. And that was the first time anyone had ever broken 30 for the last 50 in a 200 metres butterfly. It was the first time it was ever done. Jesus. He was a racer. And I was giving him a rub down going out. I said, mate, do this, do this now. Come on, you can do it. And I'm getting very excited about what I'm going to do to him, you know. Hmm. And he says to me, Laurie, settle down. I know exactly what I'm going to do. I know exactly how I'm going to race this. You sit down, <laughs> stop stressing. <laughs> He's talking to me. I'm the coach. <laughs> sit down, stop stress, stressing, and let me handle it. I said, Oh, go on, John. Away you go. 17 year old, about to take on the albatross. Good luck, son. And away <laughs> good. And then uh, at 17 years of age, the youngest ever. At that stage, Olympic champion, I think still the youngest ever. Mate, just an amazing achievement. You'd think, you would think, if you're Olympic champion at 17, then you have something, you, you could go on to, to fill a real destiny of Olympic champion again mm. and again. But not to be. Because gets back to Australia. This is another story from my locker room. I'm going to start doing a few of these stories. <laughs> Get back to Australia and he's faded. Everyone's just coming, come and have a drink here, Jono. Free entry to the casino. Yeah. Come and, uh, can you come and talk to the kids down here? Yeah. We'll give you X dollars. Uh, you haven't got it. You know, he's a free scholarship to Bond University. Come yeah. on, mate. Come on, come to Bond. Everyone thrown at the feet. Mate. 17 years of age. It's not good for the, the mentals. Forget, no, the kid forgets how he became good. Yeah. 
So he's he's in the Surf Lifesaving Club, which he loves, which the, which I always put my kids in the Surf Lifesaving Club. But he he'd come down, he'd miss training, two or three afternoons to go down to the surf club and have a surf. Just a body. I'm like, I said, John, mate, mate, honest to God, the surfing is fantastic. It's good for you, but it doesn't. Re- yes, it does, Laurie. I'm very fit. I get on the board. I do. It's very good for me. But once we come and I make the Australian Olympic team again. I'll knuckle down and we'll do, I'll train harder than I've ever trained in my life before for you. He said, but I need to have this little bit of relaxation. Mate, I should have whacked him in the mouth then and said, come on, don't miss training, you silly, you know. Yeah. But you can't put old heads on young shoulders. Yeah. So that I realised then that, you know, he forgot how he got good. He forgot the 5am. He forgot when he hurt his shoulder that he came in and did the whole session kick. The whole session kick. He forgot these things. Thinking that going down having a surf on the Gold Coast, bullshit, and then someone would take him for a drink somewhere. Come on, give me a break. Yeah. If you're going to be Olympic champion, you're going to be Olympic champion, that's where you go. There's no deviating, mate. There's no deviating. That's what got him there. That's exactly what got him there. Yeah. And it's the same formula that I've used with all the kids that I've put on Olympic teams or Commonwealth Games teams or World Championship teams. Same formula. You work hard. I saw it overseas. I learned it off the Americans. I'm not too proud to say that. Don't say I don't want to beat them. I want to beat them all right. But um, Yeah, you 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 may have learned it off them, but then you stuck it to them. Well, in certain areas. Well, Duncan Armstrong's a prime example, you know, took down the American hero. Yeah, yeah, that was... Matt well, Biondi. That gave, that gave me a lot, a lot of uh, satisfaction, Lucky Lane 6. Mate, that's one of the greatest... Uh, sw- that, I mean, that, that swim had the, the biggest impact on me as a young kid uh, more than any other swim. Not just the swim itself, but the whole, the whole event. I mean, watching Laurie Lawrence in the stands... And the way that you were celebrating that win is is folklore in Australia. I mean, it's it's the greatest win in Australia's swimming history in terms of just the event itself and taking down um, this this unbeatable force who's Matt Biondi. I mean, you got Duncan Armstrong, who's not even ranked in the top thirty in the world. Well, no. And neither was Seaver. None of those guys were ranked in the top. But the thing was, it was all about preparation. Yeah. And perspiration is the ladder of success. Mm. If you want to be successful, you've got to do the work. And Duncan did the work. Now, I know I know in sprinting it's a lot different. And uh, and I, 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 I coached a couple of great sprinters, Greg Fasala and Neil Brooks and uh, some of those guys, part of the mean machine. Mark Stockwell, who got the silver medal at the Olympic Games in 84. Is there such uh, thing as a tough sprinter? Uh, yeah. I think to be a, a sprinter, unfortunately, you being a sprinter, and I have to admit this, um, sprinters do have to be tough because they have to they have to feel a different sort of pain, mate. Yeah, yeah. It's a different sort of pain. Sure. And yeah, you know, if I was coaching these days, I would have to. 
the philosophy would be the same in terms of do whatever it takes to be totally successful. Yeah. That's number one. But I would have to change my ways and go with modern swimming and what it's doing. Right. But my, I don't like getting beaten and I'm a quick learner. Yeah. So I'd adapt quickly and I'd have my kids being every bit as competitive as they should be. Oh, mate, there's a story in the preparation of Duncan Armstrong and his mental toughness that that comes out at the 88 Olympics. But in the preparation of Duncan Armstrong, there's a story. I don't know. You're going you're gonna to set the story straight, but there is a story of something going on in the workout and you walking over to a, a brick wall and scraping your knuckles down a brick wall. Talk to me about this story. Well, that wasn't Duncan's. That wasn't for Duncan. That was oh, there some wasn't? young. Nah, that was some young kid in the squad. Oh, okay. Some some young kid in the squad saying, "Oh, my shoulder's hurting. I got pain. You know, I got pain." And all the kids were there. Duncan was there. All all the other athletes were there. Oh, okay, right, right. They're all sitting there, and this kid's in. As I'm sitting down talking to them, I get them out of the water, sit them down, talk to them about this is what we've got to do and everything. And this young kid pipes up and says, "I got a really sore shoulder. I'm in pain." I said, pain? I got up straight away, walked over to the brick wall there at Chandler, closed my fist. I don't know why I did it. <laughs> and I scraped them down the wall and took all the skin off those four knuckles, just peeled it off on this concrete wall. Uh. <laughs> and it started to bleed. And I went over and held it in front of his face and said, that's pain, mate. Now get back in and let's keep training. <laughs> <laughs> So Duncan was there and he probably tells that story. Yeah, Duncan told me that story. Yeah, that, that's a classic. But, but for Duncan, his kick was weak, you know, and he needed to get more strength in his legs. So I said to him, mate, <clears throat> two things I want you to do. These are extra over and above what everyone else is doing. You stay back for half an hour every night after training, four nights a week. I put the weight belt on. We've got, we've got a weight belt. You go into the diving pool, which is straight behind the training pool. You hold your hands above your head and your vertical kick for half an hour. No stop, just vertical kick. Jeez. So every night for four nights a week, he'd stay back. And I used to say to Jono, Jono, come on, join us. Come and do this half an hour butterfly kick with us. Um, oh, you don't need that shit, Laurie. You don't need that shit. Training's finished now. You don't need that shit. Mm. Oh, I should have whacked him in the ear. Anyway, <laughs> Duncan did that every night for four nights. And then when he went home, when he went home, his father would meet him before they had evening dinner. He'd meet him with a skateboard that in those days, Randy Reese was using him in America, right. where he'd turn the wheels sideways mm. and he'd go out onto the athletic track and they'd go around, lie on him and, pull themselves around the arena, you know, yeah. to strengthen the shoulders and pecs and triceps and lats and all that right up that strengthen that shoulder girdle. So I said this to Duncan and his father and they, so his old man went out and made the skateboard and every night after training for half an hour, Duncan would come home, put on the garden gloves, middle of winter, go down, he lived on the side of a hill, go down to the bottom of the hill, and then haul himself up the hill 
with his hands oh. on this skateboard platform, just pulled himself up the hill. Mm. And his father walked down with him and then walked back up with him in silent communion. Mm. Father and son just work, work, working together, you know. Wow. And you know what? Every time that kid went in to swim, the father would say to him, tap him on the shoulder before he went and said, break a world record, son, every night. Mm. And the night before he beats Beyondi and Sol, his father taps him on the shoulder and says, good luck, son, break a world record. Wow. And it's, it's history, mate. Yeah. It's history. How he's gone in, slipped over on the lane rope, kept an eye on Beyondi, last 50, tumble in the middle of the lane and bring yourself home and finish strong without a breath. How'd you come up with that race plan? Mate, I, when I, I actually broke into the, um, into the AV room at the Olympic Games in Seoul through the window. I took out one of the windows and broke in early hours of the morning because I couldn't, I couldn't see it. They used to put every race up. And I looked at Beyondi and I thought, look, there was a, always a big weight from his kick because he's a very strong kicker. Right. Very smooth, smooth swimmer, but a nice little wave. And I looked at it closely. Then I saw that he'd drawn the lane right next to Duncan. He was in lane five. Um, Duncan was in six. Lane four was uh, Michelle Gross, the yep. big giant German with the wingspan of a great bird, the albatross. The albatross, yeah. And um, so I said to Duncan, look, this is what we got to do, mate. You, when you get up on the block, you stand on the side of the block, the side to lane five. When you dive in, you come up right on the lane rope and you suck it up on him. You just sit there with him and follow him. And in the third 50, if you go back and look at the splits from all the splits in the in the um, in the heats and semis yesterday, every one of them, you had the fastest last 50. Wow. You had the fastest last 50 because you're fitter and you're ready to go. Yeah. So all, all you do is as you come into that wall, you hit, you push off to the middle of the lane and away you go. That's the race strategy. No more, you just race him home. And as you get to the end, you finish no breathing. And if you go back and watch the end of the race, He's coming up on him. He's coming up, but he's nowhere near there. He puts his head down and finishes the last five to eight metres with his head down, no breathing, and he goes from being level to being a half a body length in front. Mm. And Anders Holmatz is right out on the side, other side line. It was a great race. and But if he wasn't fit, mate, if he hadn't done the work, yeah. if he hadn't done the preparation, if he hadn't stayed and done those kicks, if he hadn't, paid the price going up with his father walking up and down on those cold nights in winter, he wouldn't be the Olympic champion. Yeah. Hey, you know, you pay the price. Seaman paid the price when he was 17. He didn't pay the price when he was 21. And then you have this this moment. Where did this where where the where the animal come from when you're when you're kicking 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 the side of the oh, mate the grandstand and screaming out where's the animal where's the animal, mate? 
we had we used to do before training every day a half an hour of gym work right. right we used as i told you steel bars just round bars like this mm. and the navy seals are using these things now they're just a plain bar right steel bar and they're all different weights depending on how old the kids are mm-hmm. and they go through all the basic you know full military press mm-hmm. curls triceps mm-hmm. you know back pushes upright rowing covering all the different muscle groups we do that and i had a bar there that was like that you could barely put your hands around it right and that was armstrong's bar mm. and i'd say the animal uses this bar <laughs> and he took it and uh, that's the bar he trained with so we I nicknamed him then the animal. Oh, gotcha. So That's where it came from. Because of the work that he did in the gym, you know? Yeah. And he'd lead all these other young kids, the future kids that have dreams about going to the Olympic Games. He'd get out there and he'd be the leader doing all that. So we do half an hour of that every day. The key was nobody puts their bar to the ground for half an hour. Right. You've got a bar. It's heavy. You use it for a half an hour. You don't put it on the ground. Oh, man. I'm just, I'm loving it. You're giving me chills. You just make, because uh, they don't make them tough like that. You can't make them tough like that anymore. That's real, that's real toughness. It's Navy SEAL shit. Yeah. You know, you do, well, that's what I say. I'd lose a lot of kids these days, but I change certain things. But there yeah. are things that you don't compromise. Yeah. There are things that you do not compromise in training. Mm-hmm. And there's no compromising preparation. Yeah. Preparation wins races. Coaching wins races. That's true. I don't know. Technique wins races. But as I'm saying to the young kids that I'm coaching right now, I'm not coaching, I'm t- teaching right yeah. now. Yeah. And I do it just four mornings a week. I'm going to have winter warriors come up soon for this winter in Australia. And I've got a group of young kids between 10 and 12 who will be just the ripe age for the Olympics in Brisbane in 22. Unfortunately, I won't be here. I'm 80 this year. So in 20, in 32, I should say 32. That's 32. 11, 32. So I'm going to be bloody 90, mate. I'll be on a, 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 I'll be on a respirator on the pool deck if I made it that far. <laughs> but you know what these kids can't cannot be olympic champions if they can't swim and what i'm going to give them this winter is technique 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 more technique right and i'll set it up to teach them what to do i'll bring out out of my kit bag and i've got hundreds of these Uh. Olympic pins, mate. Mm. You don't miss training for the week. You play me for rock, paper, scissors for an Olympic pin. But there's only one Olympic pin to be given out. So if 10 people don't miss training for the week, come and play me. But if I beat you the first time, you're out. If you beat me, you stay in. Then we go again. (laughs) The kids who went. And at the end, is one Olympic pin. Here's this one. This one's, oh, 
It's a cheap shit one. It's an IBM one from uh, LA, 1984. <laughs> <laughs> it's not sure. It's, it's 84, a, it's mate. It's a sponsor's pin from 84, mate. That one. <laughs> well, what else? Oh, here's one. This is, uh, oh, this is another sponsor's pin from York Air Conditioning for Australia. York Air Conditioning. No. Oh, yeah. Mate, you got some amazing anyway. memorabilia back there. Mate, in here. Oh. Oh, here's a good one. No, that's an IBM ship one too. Anyway, <laughs> I've got all these. I've got all these hundreds of Australian Olympic pins that the kids can choose from. Yeah. I don't tell them what I don't tell them what sponsors. I've got Chinese, Russian, German, USA. I got the works, mate. Hundreds and hundreds of them. Yeah, all here. All here in my my little room, my room of memorabilia. I love it, mate. Look at all this. Look, look, look at this. Los Angeles. This is. Nine, can you see that? 84. 1984, my first Olympic Games. Mm. That's 84. And right over here, let me show you this one. Hi. London. Can you see uh, that one? Yeah, yeah. London. Oh, it's really not close enough. London. And right. after that, huh, Rio. But one of the best things that I ever did and during my eight Olympic Games that I've been to. I'll put this back here now. The eight Olympic Games, I've got lots of memorabilia. What about this one? The torch from oh, Sydney. Yeah. Right there. You know, I run that past the Drabrook Pool in Townsville, mate. Oh, you did? Oh, yeah. wow. Full circle, hey? Full circle, mate. That's awesome. Full circle. And and just so much other stuff. You know, I've got a thing behind me. Wait a minute. So it's just plucking. I know I'm plucking out names, but too bad. This one here from Beijing. Oh. This one's from Beijing. But you know what? That's when I got the gold, what? mate. You were taking photos of me. It's, well, it's, it's, I wouldn't take photos of you, mate, when <laughs> I can get Cadell Evans, <laughs> who was a France winner, to sign this. Cadell. For me. Unbelievable. So much memorabilia, mate. Just love the it. The place is loaded. Show loaded. us the show us the Bradman bat. Oh, oh, mate. Oh. Donnie Bradman. My our Don American audience, our American audience doesn't up. know him. Yeah, well, they wouldn't know him, but if they they would know uh, uh, that American who was the Nike advocate. Uh, like Michael American Jordan. Michael Jordan. Everyone knows Michael Jordan yeah. in America. Well, this man, Don Bradman, has got the highest average in test cricket for a lifetime than anyone. Mm. Anyone. And I did a he used to have a charity in Adelaide for craniofacial for kids who were disfigured. Their right. faces were disfigured, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, from a oh, just from a a uh, bone deformity. Right. And he had this special charity. And they asked me to go down and speak at that charity, a big fundraising dinner. And he said, what do you want? I said, I want a bat autographed by you. But I want a message on it. I want a message on the bat. And so he wrote on it, to Laurie Lawrence, 
the only way to succeed is to make sure you work harder than your competition. Uh, yeah, well, saying the same things you are. That's Bradman. Yeah. The only way to succeed is to make sure you work harder than your opposition. Brilliant. So I've got two other, two other Australian captains on here that have said things, but um, oh, Steve Waugh. Steve Waugh's a living legend. People listening wouldn't know. He's a cricketing legend, captain of Australia. To Laurie, always give 100%. Make your own luck. Yeah. yeah. Make your own luck. Yeah. Don't, don't rely on other people yeah. to do things for you. Do it for yourself. Anyway. That's all history. Well, tell, um, tell me about this, Laurie. I know you're passionate about um, learn to swim and, and kids who, you know, who drown. You know, drowning is a, is a big deal in Australia. But people don't know this. But I mean, I mean, in America too, I guess. But the, the kids alive do five. Talk to me about this program. Our island nation circle by great oceans, pounding free. Our abiding love of nation is as natural as the sea. We live by lakes and rivers, by billabong and stream, by blues the swag for the mighty rag of our great Australian dream. We swim for form and fitness. We swim for relaxation, for therapeutic purposes, for sport, for love of nation. We swim for tone and texture to keep old man time on hold. But when rings and flames call forth our names, it's then we swim for gold. We pipe our precious water to keep it by our side, but in its bland and grand impoundments, young Aussie kids are died. They sparkle around our country like bright-eyed emerald jewels, but tiny crosses track the losses by the lanes of backyard pools. Keep kids alive, do the five. Fence the pool, shut the gate. I'll teach your kids to swim, it's great. Supervise, watch your mate, and learn how to resuscitate. Just focus for a moment on whom that lost child could have been. Bradman? Fred Hollows? President of the United States? A country western queen. The mother of a tribe of kids with Thorpey in their eyes. The father of a daughter who'd have claimed the Nobel Prize. Keep kids alive, do the five. Fence the pool, shut the gate. I'll teach your kids to swim, it's great. Supervise, watch your mate, and learn how to resuscitate. Just remember, drowning is silent. And the Kids Alive program nationally, since I started this program nationally with water safety messages, with songs, with all sorts of things, with community service announcements going on television, I started 21 years ago. The drowning stats in Australia then was 63 kids a year drowning in Australia, under five, under five. That's all I'm concentrating on, the most vulnerable, under fives. 63 drowned in the year 2000 when we had the Olympic Games. Mm. Last year, 12. 
the drowning has just kept coming down, 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 all through education, all through education. That's your greatest and legacy that, right there, mate. That's my passion these days. Mm. Not the Olympic gold medalists, mm. not the 30-plus Olympians I've put onto Olympic teams, but saving kids' lives. Mm. Who knows? Bradman, Fred Hollows, President of the United States, Michael Jordan. You're, you, you, the Yanks, mate. Go and have a look at the stats in the under five age oh, group. Yeah. Oh, it's crazy. It's bullshit. It's yeah. bullshit what they're doing. Yeah. How many kids you're drowning? They're not doing anything. That's the problem. You've got to get on and do something about it, mate. Just take a national program. Get someone to go to the president. This bloke, this new bloke, Biden, he seemed like he's a, a reasonable sort of fellow. Get someone to go and see him and talk to him about what can we do? What can we do nationally? Get someone to see Murdoch and say, hey, you've done enough damage. Come on, get some community service ads on about saving kids' lives here so we can take the drowning stats down from more than 400 a year. Mm. More than 400, you, you, you know, you're drowning more kids there than you are killing people in wards. Mm. No, I can't understand it, mate. Anyway, that's what I'm doing in Australia. I've got this water safety program and... Um, Actually, I haven't got any in front of me, but I've got books that I've written on it, uh, and I'm going to get you to read one. Yeah, please. And send it. Huh? Yeah, please do. And get me. I've got a celebrity reads. They are. Oh, I don't think I should get you. Is anyone better than you? <laughs> There's no one better than me, mate. Can you get some? Can you get someone better than me to read the book? Like, <sighs> what about Nathan Adrian? Has he got young kids? Yes, he does. Just had one. I'll get him. Huh? I'll get Nathan Adrian. Righto. I'll send you. How old's the new kid? Uh, under a year, I believe. See, my passion has been since I had grandkids, I video them every month on how to learn to swim. Hmm. Their physical and cognitive growth and development. I video it all. And I've got so many of my granddaughters learning to swim. It's unbelievable. Unbelievable. And it's all part of the Kids Alive program. But I've, I'm going to send you some books, uh, Kids Alive books, and I want you to get me some American swimmers to read who've got young kids, people yeah, like Nathan Adrian. Because, mate, I admire what he's done. He's a great sprinter. Yeah, he's, he's been up there for huh? – yeah, He's a legend. He's up there for – and Lee's act. I mean, there's there's a heap of them over there, of course. Rowdy Gaines. Yeah. You know, there's a heap. I'm going to get you – I'll send you over four books. Yeah. I want to get one, four reads. They just put it on a phone, iPhone, put it sideways, read it for me and get it over to me. I'll, get my, I'll get my good mate, Gary Hall Jr. He's got kids. I'll get him to read it. Mate, has, has he? Great. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, good on. And give him my regards, please. I will. I will. Mate, this has please. been awesome. I appreciate your time here. This has been fantastic. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's good. That's very good. Now, it's going to be a link, isn't it, on YouTube? It is. It's going to be everywhere, mate. It's going to be YouTube, and we're going to get it out to everybody. So, uh, yeah. Well, send me a link. I'll put it onto my uh, Worldwide Swim School program for different people to, to listen to. Yeah, appreciate it, mate. This has been awesome. Good on you. I'm going to uh, send you that. So send me your address. Yeah, I'll text it to you right now. Right on. Yep. And I'll do it.
Right, mate. See you All later. right. Take care, buddy. Bye. Right. Bye.